is Elaine Odysseus? <laughs> She's Whoa. She even comes home to see that her house is all fucked up, right? She's got to <laughs> kick out the ho- She's got to kick out the home wreckers. Hey everyone, welcome to Bar Side Chats. I'm Brian the Gleeman. And I'm Matt the Innkeeper. And this is a Wheel of Time podcast from the Dusty Wheel. This episode contains spoilers. If you have not completed the Wheel of Time, please proceed with caution. Hey everyone, welcome back to Barside Chats. I'm Brian the Gleeman, and I'm here with my friend Matt, the innkeeper. Matt, how's it going? It's going awesome. I can't wait to talk all about the leader of the B team. <laughs> the leader of the B team. I forgot right. about that episode. <laughs> and today we have a special guest. You can hear her laughing in the background. It is Kayla, aka Master of the Deck. Master of the Duck, welcome to the show. How are you? Um, I am now the master of the quacker, apparently. I've just been called the master of the duck. I'm doing great. <laughs> yeah. Master of the duck. Did you do that on purpose? Because it feels like you did that on purpose. We're just open. Yeah. We're just going right into the trolling already. I'm here for it. <laughs> it sounds like a duck and it walks like a duck. It's a duck. <laughs> I don't know why Matt's laughing. That was a terrible joke. It was, it was, look, it's, it was, Matt, a, it was Matt a great is pun. Amused. I am easily amused. That's very true. <laughs> All right, let's jump into this. We're recording the third of our Essential series, Essential Elaine. What is the core of Elaine's character? What's not so important? And what could we cut out? What is it that makes Elaine Elaine and not some other character? So that's what we're going to talk about today. But Matt, why don't you kick us off with a brief synopsis of Elaine's storyline? <laughs> brief synopsis. <laughs> brief, so that's, as brief as you can make it. So that that is one key that will be different from our discussion about Nynaeve, which is Elaine is, did not have a concise storyline. Uh, as brief as I can get is that she's a daughter daughter whore. I almost said daughter and or wow. And she wow. Uh, <laughs> Wow. Uh, and she goes to the White Tower, meets our wonderful crew, uh, gets caught up in the search for the Black Aja, you know, ends up joining a circus and learning all about her boyfriend. I mean, her um, her father or I mean, you know what I'm saying? Father figure, Tom. And then uh, and, <laughs> and then makes her way. Awkward moment in the whole series. <laughs> and then <laughs> makes her way or starts to make her way out to the White Tower, finds out they're being hunted, ends up in Saladar. And, you know, uh, or sorry, joins a circus, ends up on the High Wire Act, bonds a hero, ends up in Saladar, raised to Aes Sedai, goes to Ebudar, finds the Bowl of Winds, meets the kin, returns to Camelin, uh, and then has a series of ridiculous uh, <laughs> captures and rescues and attempted murders. And uh, eventually claims while pregnant. While pregnant, eventually right, claims the sun throne. No big deal. <laughs> eventually claims the sun throne. Tries to rule them both. Gets kicked out of Camelin. Ends up in in a battle for her life. And and in the end, um, survives. Survives. She she makes it. And uh, so yeah, I think that's basics. I, I'm sure I'm, <laughs> there's so many elaborate in betweens there but she oh yeah sherry she ends up as the supreme commander of the forces of the light and uh yeah that's uh, i think what did i did i miss anything important a- after that uh i don't think so i mean <laughs> good job man damn 
Yeah, she took a lot of baths. <laughs> yeah, many baths were taken. Uh, first sister ceremony was had. She liked to walk on a tightrope. Yeah, I, I guess her storyline kind of ends with almost again, you know, being <laughs> again almost being killed and having her children ripped out of her body, only to be saved by her recently killed hero bonded, you know, Brigitta. You know, so you know it's. You know, what I've realized from my review of her storyline is it is very dramatic. Like, there's just so many ins and outs to the intrigue around Elaine's storyline. Um, and I often, I'll give her, I've often given her a lot of crap, which is she is kind of part of this B team. But I will say this Jordan certainly set her up as kind of like the epitome to basically royalty, right? Like, this is the story you might see in other series all about royalty and i feel like that we get a lot of that we get this we get the back and forth and the drama that you would expect from a royal story so i have a different opinion about elaine now that'll be interesting as we kind of dig into what is essentially part of what what we need for elaine what is it about elaine that is essential to the story like why do we need elaine's plot she does a lot as you just listed a hundred things it's very dramatic what does she add to the story that some of the other characters don't you have any thoughts, Master of the Deck? She's got a reckless sense of entitlement, I think. I think. I mean, my first thought when I thought, okay, what does Elaine need to be who she is? And Matt already mentioned, like, she's royalty. That's kind of the core of who she is and her personality. Her personality is her title, more or less, uh, because most of her quirks, whether they're irritating or endearing, kind of come from her being the daughter heir of Andor. But ultimately, I think the the biggest one of those that affects so much of her decision making is that she has a reckless sense of entitlement. Um, and probably the easiest way to get that would be to be royalty. But I don't think you don't necessarily have to be somebody who is royalty in order to have a reckless sense of entitlement. Um, it'd be really weird for her to act the way that she does if she weren't essentially, you know, a, a queen in waiting. But yeah. I, I, that's a good uh that's a good attribute what what is it that you think exemplifies her reckless entitlement what is it that she does that makes you feel that way about her and does she does it does she do it all the time or is it just sometimes i think anytime that it comes down to a situation where you would otherwise call somebody selfish though the choice that elaine <laughs> makes is 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 less necessarily about her saying, you know, I deserve this, but so much of like, it's a natural law of the land that this is how things should be. Um, one of the things uh, that pops into my head is um, having her entire, her whole ass bed hoisted to the top of the walls of Camelin so that she could watch uh, the dragons being fired off because she was, she was pregnant and she was supposed to be on bed rest. So, like, on the one hand, this is kind of hilarious, right? Like, oh, well, I'll show them. You're going to say I need to be in bed for my health because I have twins in my belly. Well, you know, they'll just put my whole bed onto the wall. What could possibly go wrong? On the other hand, it's like, wow, you not realize, like, the the utter logistical nightmare that you've just caused for a whole bunch of your underlings. But, you know, why would she think about that? You know, she's the daughter of Vandor. You know, it's her entitlement. She's entitled to have that sort of, you know, uh ridiculous demand met yeah i I like that i like that i I also want to call out that i beyond that or in in addition to that there is this uh, underlying just obscene amount of curiosity which 
is appealing about her. You know, there's just, you know, like when Rand falls, you know, like she, she wants to know all about him. She wants to figure people and things out only to the degree that she wants, that she wants to. It's not like this so severe that she, she's really uh, so empathetic that it's, you know, uh, it's, it's more just her need to know things like her figuring out the Tarangrail and how those things work, you know, with the Adam and stuff. So uh, I like the reckless sense of entitlement mixed with her curiosity does make her a little bit more sympathetic than I'm used to feeling about a royal figure in a in a story. And I don't know if that's, I don't know if Jordan did, that was like a good twist that he gave to her, which made her, you know, the a character that we can kind of make fun of with her baths and her, like you said, her drag the bed up to the, you know, like, like that stuff just you you dislike, but also like she's, She's enjoyable when she goes out on an adventure, right? She's interesting in an adventure situation, whereas like Perrin is not. <laughs> you know, like that Perrin's, Perrin's so boring. He's just boring, and shows she her sense of adventure and curiosity mixed with her, you know, her royal entitlement, if you will, uh, does make her more compelling than I would have said yesterday. You know, as I've considered this question, she's got kind of an Indiana Jones thing going on, you know. Like, not only do I have the resources and the ability to go do this thing, but I, I want to do it. So get, I'm going to do it. You know, it's yeah. why not? Essentially, why won't I'll destroy the floor in this library so that I can go see what's in, you know, what's inside of it. Like, nah, so I'll put myself at risk, probably by exploring these Tarangriel might end up doing something embarrassing in an inn. But eh, like, <laughs> who's who's counting? Right. Well, yeah, that's that's true. I mean, Brian, you, I, I don't want to keep on going down this road, but like risky, you know, her, yeah, that, that there is a risky nature to what she does. And maybe that is what's key about her being almost poisoned or, you know, or sometimes poisoned and, and almost captured or sometimes captured and, and in need of rescue, but not in a damsel in distress and more of an Indiana Jones, you know, stepped, you know, <laughs> dropped into a pit of vipers and <laughs> because he was curious in that, you know, in that same kind of way. And and maybe that's what makes her interesting to me is that riskiness puts her in those positions as much as I'm annoyed by it. Let's talk a little bit about those personality quests and how they manifest in the story. So she's recklessly uh, or relentlessly entitled. She's very um, willing to risk herself probably because you know, when you're royalty, you think everybody should do what you want to do. You get to do what you want to do and you feel like a mortal in some ways. Um, and she's uh, in, uh, relentlessly curious as well. So what parts of the story of Elaine's plot line really illustrate those? And and are there parts of the storyline that don't, that just don't really add anything to her, her character? I mean, I, I think the Black Aja hunt actually fits her really well as compared to Egwene and 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 maybe even Nynaeve. I think Elaine actually makes the perfect person to be part of that that hunt. Uh, and and so I, I think that is essential to the plot. You know, if if I love how you've broken this down, which is like calling out some of these key you know, it makes it easier, especially how much of a plot line she has to kind of examine these things. So yeah, I, I would say the Black Aja hunt is just a a core piece that she needs to be part of to really highlight just um, how willing she is to kind of jump into the danger. I would say, in addition to that, that as much as I, I also think that this story could function perfectly fine without it, 
Um, Elaine's relationship with Rand very much exemplifies those those core parts of her personality. You know, she barely knows him at all, and yet she feels entitled to both, like, a romantic and sexual relationship with him, as well as, you know, you know, bearing his children, essentially. I can't believe you're making me like this part of the storyline. That's terrible. I hate the fact that she has such a crappy relationship with him, but but the fact that it's like on point it's, with her. <laughs> oh, totally. It's abs- it's a hundred percent Elaine. It's it's very and my my favorite thing about this, honestly, um, is that once Elaine basically got what she wanted from Rand, which was his DNA. Like, uh, she was like, all right, that's good. We're fine now. Like, she could just after Rand like off at the end of the story. Like, she's fine. She probably doesn't even care that much because, I mean, she didn't have a dad. Like, Tarangale uh, got, you know, what? He got iced by Tom when he was, when she was still a kid. So it, she was raised by nurses. It's a thing that happens with royalty. So, like, she's used to a non-traditional, quote-unquote, family. So, you know, her relationship with Rand, is it was about the curiosity, the oddity of, you know, this weird man who falls from the sky. And, you know, the the danger of it. You know, the sort of reckless aspect, sort of like, you know, making out with a Nazi like Indiana Jones does. Um, <laughs> and uh, then she she's sort of like, OK, well, this was a great adventure, some fun that we had together. And now I'm going to move on with my life. It's really funny that she mentioned that because that's one of the plot lines that I have always considered to be like the least needed in this in the series. Oh, absolutely. I've always it's felt totally like useless. Brandon Elaine's relationship is like practically non-existent. It's, it's a fling. It's a it's a. It's a hookup overnight, and then it's gone. It happened in Robert Jordan's head. Yeah, it <laughs> happened in his head, and he didn't put it on the page. Exactly. And so uh, I've always thought, like, if, if I was going to cut something, I would cut that. Uh, so it's, it's interesting that you you tied that into her personality. Right. Um, I hate yeah. that it is, because I think that it, it's a, a stupid part of the story. But if we think about we break Elaine down the way that we have into these sorts of essence of her personality that makes her who she is the way that she forms her sort of parasocial relationship with Rand uh, is kind of, it's like Matt said, it's on brand for her. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the, I'm right there with you, Matt. I hate it. <laughs> Do you think we're supposed to like Elaine? Ooh. I think against our better judgment, we're supposed to appreciate parts of her because there's a, there's a, an aspect of her personality that we haven't gotten into yet. And I think it's, Elaine has a sort of like a pathological need to be accountable, to hold herself accountable for the the shit that she does. Sometimes in a really obnoxious way, but you know, she she's the first person to admit when she is wrong. After some prodding, <laughs> after some prodding, after it's been made clear to her that she is wrong, she's like, okay, yeah, you're right, my bad. Yeah, she really did embrace the toe from Avienda uh, and, and the Ayil. So I think you're right about that. Yeah, she does a better job of it than Egwene, for sure. Uh, Definitely. <laughs> no, but I, that's so, oh, man, it's so interesting to look at this whole plot line and apply those ideas to it because um, I I almost feel like you really need these, you know, having her be part of, you know, the whole introduction side to the Sean Chan with Egwene and Nynaeve is actually more key than I would have imagined before this. And um, her side, her the little side thing with Val and Luca's show, like I would have cut Val and Luca's show really easily before this moment. But there is something that highlights part of her character in that whole section with Val and Luca that I feel like could be missing 
without us seeing her kind of take on a disguise and another personality and kind of see some of these other attributes kind of shine through a bit. And again, on that riskiness side, I mean, she just bonds Brigitte, you know, out of the blue. <laughs> like, she's not Aes Sedai at this point, you know, but she just rushes ahead in ways that other characters don't. And I think getting rid of too many of those would actually detract from what we want to see with her. So I'm gonna, I want to pose this to you, that, to you both. Having said that, can we just drop all of Ebudar? Can we take her from Saladar back to possibly Camelin at that point? In other words, does the whole Ebudar, Bowl of Winds, kin just reinforce her storyline and who she is? Or does it actually highlight something new about her and build out something that we need in Elaine? I don't think there's anything that happens in Abu Dar that expands Elaine's character with regard to these sort of essential parts of her personality that we don't also get in other places or that couldn't be like uh, added into those other places. Like I functionally, uh, one of the only like one of those sort of you know redeeming parts of Elaine's personality that we see her need for accountability is when uh, uh, Birgitta and uh, tells. Uh, Avienda and or tells Elaine and Nynaeve that they need to apologize to Matt um and and in many ways that's more of a Nynaeve development thing than Elaine because we see Elaine hold herself accountable in other places um that that storyline overall I mean it does a couple it does a couple of things for the stories with regard to the Sean Chan but for Elaine nah yeah, I feel like it's it, it is just another example. Her that whole storyline is just another re. It's almost like Jordan was like like we know. <laughs> it's like what do I do with all these people that I've created? Well, put them in other circumstances that are believable for them, that aren't really that necessary. Like we've we ran in this with Perrin, also not so much Nynaeve. Uh, you know, Nynaeve had a really tight storyline actually, uh, but Perrin and Elaine have this kind of thing where Robert Jordan just chucks them back into a scenario that you already feel confident about. You know how they're going to react, and they do it the same exact way. It's just a new place. Uh, so I, I do like potentially cutting that piece out and just getting her back to Camelin because I think Camelin itself and Carheen, or I said Carheen, wow, Carheen. Um, <laughs> That's how I remember how to spell it. I know. I, uh, I, the the fact that that all, all takes place, I think, is something new that's brought to light, which is more of this kind of royal upbringing that builds out more of her character. So I like that she's left and comes back, but I, I think that that does provide uh, where we can cut her out her plot a little bit for TV and still get the essential Elaine out of it. I think I agree with that. Ibudar is with for pretty much everybody except Matt, kind of a waste of time. Like. Nynaeve, Elaine, pretty much anybody else that's out there is really kind of, it's it's not a waste of time. It's just redundant. There's other scenes that illustrate the character development, the plot development we get out of those scenes. But we don't, we just don't need Elaine there. I, I think I agree with that. I, I think we could cut that entire section. Oh, yeah. So I'm kind of curious, though, then, does the a number of assassinate, assassinations attempts and the number of times that she's kind of almost basically captured and the number of times that she's maybe rescued, is that essential to who she is as this kind of risky, entitled, you know, curious kind of personality? Or is it just overdone? Do, do, we, do we need that for TV? 
or is one enough of those? You know, I don't. I, I, royal stories always have assassination attempt and capturing, you know, someone for advantage and and rescues and such. But is it does Jordan do too much of it here? That's a good question. I feel like our main characters' lives are in danger from so many directions at once that Elaine isn't necessarily uniquely targeted because she's the daughter heir of Andor. Um, so much as you know, once she forms her attachment to Rand. Um, or just, you know, by virtue of her getting herself into all of the stuff that she's in, right? She's she's put herself into situations that have made her life more dangerous than it otherwise would have been just with her being royalty, which you know, is kind of like an interesting like introspection into her, especially since, you know, her father was assassinated. I'm sure like her mother has had to endure certain assassination attempts. And so she kind of grew up with a, you know, you know, live, live fast, die young and leave a beautiful corpse kind of mentality. Um, (laughs) I love that. Such that like, you know, well, I'm, I'm always going to have a certain level of risk here. Do I need to live my life in fear? Or am I gonna say, you know, screw it, let's, uh, let's have a party. Let's, let's go do this adventure. Let's do this stuff. Um, and kind of without the regard for certain consequences that it has, as far as the stability of her nation, you know, yeah. uh, we see we see the cascading consequences of Elaine deciding to go off on these adventures with with Elaine and uh, sorry, with Egwene and uh, Nynaeve and Avienda in what happens with Gawain and in sort of the, the civil war in Camelin. And then later on when she decides, you know, hey, you know, I will go take the sun throne. And then like Camelin explodes in the background behind her. <laughs> I, I think that's a good point. And I think w- when it comes to her royalty uh and the assassination attempts and things like that um i i think i've thought a lot about like what is it that uh what does that bring to the story like what is how does that make the wheel of time a better series because of the fact that she's got this whole succession plot line that she's got assassination attempts that you know the civil war like what is that illustrating and i keep coming back to the idea that it's, it's just illustrating the chaos in a world heading toward Tarman Gaiden, right? Is in the world where the dragon reborn is walking around and breaking all bonds and whatever. Does that need to be Elaine? And does that need to be in Camelin? Could we also have seen that in like Faldara or in Ilion or anywhere else? Like we we kind of already saw the collapse of governments in other countries. Do we really need to see it in Elaine's uh, in Camelin? Or is that whole plot line kind of another place to keep her busy until the last battle i think the then i think uh, master deck brought this up which was it depends if we have her connection to Rand stay then i think it does make a really great place for that kind of storyline to take place in other words her connection to rand is why we see even additional chaos around her so she's the kind of personality that would bring it upon herself anyway <laughs> and then and then she, and because of that, she brings upon herself Rand in a way that's very much more assertive in her regard, right? Like she, like Masha Zedek pointed out, took from Rand what she wanted. And uh, and this is what she's getting from the choices that she's making uh, because she attached herself to someone who is basically the, the center of chaos in the story. So I, I do like it from that perspective of if we, from the television's perspective, they do connect these two individuals 
then I then I want to see the outcome of that, right? Because that same thing's happening to everybody else that touches Rand, you know. Uh, and so in this in this way, it makes sense. But I want to bring this up: the pregnancy aspect, and you know, attempting to capture her to leverage. Do we? I mean, the connection to Rand seems to me does now seem vital as far as essential Elaine. Uh, I do want to see them connected because it it adds a quality. I think that adds a layer to each one of these plots, but do we need her to become pregnant? Is, is there anything about her being pregnant that is added to essential Elaine as far as the story is concerned? I think it just raises yeah. the stakes. Yeah. It just says, it's like a, it's like a cheap gimmick to raise the stakes a little bit. We're like, Oh, it's not just Elaine. It's Elaine and the babies. You There's know? also men's viewing. You know, she uses that as an excuse to, to go, you know, more, more herring off and adventuring like, Oh, you know, men saw that my babies will be born healthy or whatever it was. So, <laughs> right, right, but right. <laughs> uh, you know, just from a, from just a, a narrative standpoint, you know, the idea that there's another aspect of Elaine's storyline and plot that is sort of like being determined by Rand necessarily, like more than mm. more so than by herself. And, you know, with Elaine, especially since her relationship with Rand is, you know, so very off base, her story is mostly determined by her with the occasional like weirdly dreamy like daydream. Uh, you know, about the random redhead that she, you know, made out with a couple times in tear. I I don't I don't know. Nah, we don't need the pregnancy. I don't think. But would you want to see them though develop from the TV show? Is it more essential that they have a closer relationship, or do you think it's on point the type of relationship Elaine does have with Rand, and to keep that basically as is because that speaks to who she is? I mean, I I really value the relationship between Elaine and Avienda. I think that if if the relationship between Elaine and Rand is is maintained in the TV series that it should be made very clear that 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 attachment is not a strong one that it's maybe one of a sort of like you know casual affection but it's not so like deep and attached that that um you know it in the books it just it's right there it's in canon like I I don't think Elaine cares that much about Rand, to be honest. Um, you know, aside aside from the sort of like, you know, you know, what a nice boy. The the real deep affection that she's got is between she and Avienda. Whether people ascribe that to some sort of romantic relationship or if it's just the very close, um, you know, bond of sisters. Um, it's that's the one that's really important. If we use it in the show, I think it's fine that she and Rand canoodle that she even knows him and likes him and maybe even has that sort of sense of royal propriety over him, like that she's proprietary. I can't use words today. Um, <laughs> that she's very proprietary in how she talks about Rand, but like, you know, more like out of habit than actual substance. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to, I'm not going to argue with that because I, in a prior discussion at the bar side, <laughs> I made the point that they don't even have a romantic relationship. Um, that, that, that it's a very, it's a, like, royal it's a royal relationship which was more um i can't remember the word we used but it's more it's more political and it's um and it's more about her uh it's more about giving rand a reason to care about her and for her to care about rand than it is about just themselves uh it's it's more about like tying them together so that when one of them moves the other one moves too and in a, a fate you know pattern type way um, but I think I agree. I don't think there's really anything of substance there in terms of a relationship. Uh, I'm going to slightly change the subject. Um, so 
with essential para and an essential naive, we talked about uh, arch nemesis for each of them. Uh, Perrin has uh, Luke, uh, Luke Isom, uh, and uh, one of the White Cloaks, uh, Bornholt. And then uh, Nynaeve is obviously Mogedian as the big arch nemesis that she has. Does Elaine have an arch nemesis? Is there somebody that she's an uh, external opponent that she's fighting the whole time? Or is her character arc a little bit more internally focused compared to the others? Responsibility. <laughs> her arch nemesis responsibility <laughs> I don't, well, yeah that's an interesting I'm trying to think of an yeah. actual like person that, yeah, you know, yeah. give you more serious but yeah I mean Elaine has a very complicated relationship with responsibility and so I think many of the those arcs even the boring ones you know the, the Civil War in Camelon or the weird one with uh, um, you know Val and Luca is sort of an exploration of uh, her both wanting and craving responsibility and also of wanting to sort of give it up and like see how the other side lives um yeah she so, almost like 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 yeah. matt almost there's like a i think people brought this up before like she and matt like kind of have a there's something similar about them uh, in that way and, and 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 i don't know i think matt does end up having an arch nemesis but i don't know that i see one for elaine in the story that i mean I, succession tends to be her arch nemesis right like her her mother in in a, the regard of just you know uh that relationship with with the throne and royalty tends to not again it's not like not arch nemesis but it's just like a I don't know what you'd call it. It's like a more of like a family drama. I think like family and yeah, I like that family and responsibility together are kind of like, she's different in that regard. She's not, there's not somebody out there. I don't think maybe am I missing somebody? I, I feel like the main there, there is a sort of like, you know, protagonist antagonist thing happening like from the middle to late part of the series, as far as, you know, the, the black sisters that, live that are in Camelin and um the and Doylan Mellar um are they they become the sort of like you know the fly in Elaine's ointment from there until the end but throughout the rest of the series it's very much just a you know all, like when you went through that whole laundry list of stuff that Elaine does it's basically just like a comedy of you know of errors and adventures a saga of Elaine sort of you know, trying to be a jack of all trades before she settles down to be a queen, even though she never lets go of her royalty. She's never hiding who she is, but she certainly puts off consummating her, you know, her relationship with Andor, so to speak. It's uh, a little uh, bit of a uh, rumspringa for her, you know. <laughs> well, you brought up you brought up uh, Indiana Jones, and I think that that's a great Indiana Jones doesn't. I mean, I wouldn't give him an arch nemesis, right? It's just he picks up. Uh, you know, he, he he tends to pick up enemies out there just because of the things that he's trying to accomplish, the things that he wants to do. And Elaine does the same, but it never defines what she's about, uh, in my opinion. You know, it's just another, they're just kind of part of her journey. They're not like, you know, they're not guiding that journey, if you will. So does her character change throughout the books like is she does she grow as a person does, is she a stronger better person at the end of the books than she is at the beginning one of the things about having luke Isom and uh perrin and and then Nynaeve and mokedian is they they get transformed by their confrontation and if elaine doesn't have that 
she doesn't go through that transformation. So is she a fundamentally different person at the end of the series than she is at the beginning? I think she settles. Elaine's arc is, is very exploratory. You know, she's trying on these different hats, almost literally sometimes, um, and, you know, experiencing different things and, and identities, as it were, and different parts of herself. Um, and throughout all of these, you know, we, we get to see those fundamental aspects of her come to the forefront, which is her curiosity, her intelligence, um, her need to be accountable, um, sort of her, you know, her kindness, her entitlement, um, her arrogance in, in some of these situations. And when it comes down to it, like, I don't think that she ever, she always wanted to be the queen. She knew that's who she was and she didn't have a problem with it. She didn't, she wasn't, she didn't not want her responsibility in the way that someone like Rand or Matt does in the sense that she just wanted to play the field a little bit, you know, have sex with the dragon reborn, go play the, go join the circus. I mean, <laughs> I mean Robert Jordan literally had her run off to join the circus. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's, it's, there's, so, there's yeah. no subtlety with that exactly. whatsoever. No. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, she had a fling with a dangerous man, you know, wearing the, wearing the leather pants and, uh, dyed her hair and, uh, <laughs> I don't know, crashed oh, this, the family car. Man, you're you're making her sound so much better than I've ever considered Elaine. <laughs> you know what? I've talked myself into this too because I'm right there with Matt. And thank you, Robert Jordan, for your unreliable narrator, as you always use it. But you know, I do find her very unpalatable a lot of the time. But maybe the next time that I read, when I think about Elaine from the sort of perspective, um, you know, she's still got a sort of fundamental obnoxiousness because she's royalty. You know, that sense of entitlement that royalty and nobility has is always going to be sort of like, really, you know, like, do you realize, do you not realize, you know, all these people that are responsible for you and depend on you are like, you know, really getting put out because of the way you're acting. But yeah, I suppose I, after this conversation, I don't dislike Elaine as much as I did. (laughs) Yeah, she's fundamentally obnoxious, yet fun and adventurous. And that's what they have to get right when they're transferring this to TV, I think, is not that there's some nemesis and she's going to go through some fundamental transformation, but that she's on kind of like almost, I I don't want to say this, uh, I'm going to say this wrong, but she's on like a normal life journey, you know, which is she's trying to find herherself, almost like an age appropriate, (laughs) like, um, moment that's much different than like finding out that you're the dragon reborn and saving the entire world. She, she's like you said, obnoxiously, you know, arrogant at times, which you'd assume from her upbringing. She, but she's just curious and fun and, and age and age appropriate, I guess it's like, she has an age appropriate journey. And maybe that's what we all kind of look at her and we're like, you know, she's not, she's not placed in some weird position like the three boys are, or even Egwene who, you know, this has this huge arc about becoming the Amerlin. You know, uh, she has a more... Is Elaine Odysseus? <laughs> She's... She even comes home to see that her house is all f***ed up, right? She's got to <laughs> kick out the homewreckers. Wow. wow, it is the Odyssey of Elaine. There we go. There we go. I can't believe that you know, she's, I can't believe I'm about to say the words that she's the most <laughs> normal of all of these characters. <laughs> the more, uh, yeah, that's weird. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, are we missing anything essential, Brian? Um, Keep coming back to the qualities about Elaine that we identified as essential. Uh, she's royalty. She uh, takes risks. She is entitled. She is uh, curious. And her 
most of her plot line develops those characteristics throughout. Um, Ibodar, you can pretty much cut. Like, it doesn't really do anything that we haven't established anywhere else. Um, the succession is, um, in my mind, uh, not that useful. It's just kind of, I, I hate those chapters. or I just think they're yeah. work, busy words. What I keep wondering is, if that's the central Elaine, if the central Elaine is the story of, you know, a young princess on a coming-of-age road trip. <laughs> that's true. Do we, is Elaine even essential to the wheel of time no like wow could we could we cut <laughs> elaine all together and still have the wheel I, of time no you could you can cut her i think in my opinion and it's a it's a little it sucks a little bit you know because there are things we get from elaine that we don't get from other characters but you know if we already know that her relationship with rand and the pregnancy are sort of you know weirdly tangential and not super ingrained in the rest of the story um, her relationship with Avienda is certainly, in, in my opinion, it's probably one of the the best parts of either of their storylines, you know, just from a, you know, a, a character work point of view, but ultimately has very little impact on the, the overall plotline or Avienda's plotline in particular. Um, in Andor, like, if, if she still existed as a character, it could just be, you know, as, as a a novice and then accepted in the white tower more gaze actually dies and then she goes off to be the you know the the queen of camelin she was going to be the queen of camelin anyway but we're so we're back queen to andor i should say we're back to b team elaine which i'm not going to i'm not going to deny the fact that i think that that camelin is is the b team you know um basically that the that the royal family is but i will say this that I think you would have to spread out her story to other people's stories, which I don't think is necessary. What I mean by that is we get a lot of the kind of small town folk that are going to go out and save the world, but there are obvious kingdoms and you, you're going to want to have a, a main character that comes from uh, some kind of ruling class. And Faila to me doesn't really play that role as much. Um, and, and what are you going to, I mean, Tuan, you know, that doesn't really like, who you, Lan, who you gonna, who's this Aragorn yeah, Lan is, fallen king Yeah, Lan's kind of like going away from it. She embraces it. And I, I feel like she does for the type of character that Jordan created. She is a fun, risky, interesting person, even though she's annoying from the perspective of, you know, he put her in a royal family. I mean, let's be honest. If you didn't have Elaine as a princess, but you took all those other characteristics and put her into a character. We'd all be like, she's great. I think I think Jordan does a good job of making her royal too, which makes us kind of turn off when we think about her. So I, whether or not she's the B team, I still think you need a character like that to kind of juxtapose against our little band of, you know, small town characters. And I think for what he, what he does a great job of is he doesn't like – make her into this kind of queen and we just go back and have queen stuff. No, he, he takes her out and <laughs> she goes on a road trip. I love that aspect. So I, could they do it without her? Could we get the wheel of time without her? Yes, I do believe that. But I still think she adds a color in, in ways to the story that I think you'd have to spread to other people. And I don't think it's necessary to do that. I don't have bad feeling for any of Robert Jordan's characters, mostly because he did such a good job with all of them. You know, there are some that I dislike just from a point of like, wow, if I knew this person, I'd want to punch him in the face. <laughs> um, exactly. But and I 
with Elaine in particular, I think, you know, something important just to note is that a lot of the things about Elaine, you know, as royalty that are obnoxious are, are, are characteristics that in a male character may not always be perceived as equally obnoxious. You know, those things like the sense of entitlement um, and, you know, the demands that they put on their underlings and servants. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading a different book series right now, which has a very Elaine type character, but he's a dude, you know, and the, the, the tone of that all is a, the perception of it is different. Yep. Awesome. Well, I think we did a pretty good job of summing up the essential Elaine, the parts that really make her the character that she is. And I think we also identified some major plot points that you don't really need her in. I think the conversation around like her relationship with Rand was really enlightening. Coming of age, Royal Princess road trip to me will always be my takeaway. <laughs> I think <laughs> that's, that's yeah, the, the, I think that is the story of Elaine. And I think it's, again, I think it adds to the story. So whether I still think she's part of the B team, but I, I like her in the story itself. And I hope that they do keep her and get her right. I'm still kind of, I'm a little bit proud of my Odysseus uh, analogy here. You, know, <laughs> you should be. Right that was there. great. <laughs> the, the Odyssean rumspringer. <laughs> All right. Well, let's leave it there. Uh, thank you, Master of the Deck, for joining us. We really enjoyed uh, having you here. Thanks for joining. Awesome. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. And Matt, thanks as always for coming to the bar side. It's always fun chatting at the bar side, especially when I walk away liking characters that I didn't <laughs> like so much before. So I'm loving the bar side for that. Uh, I'm, I'm falling in love with these characters again. So it's fun. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, if you like us, please leave us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next time at the bar side. Oh my gosh. I can't believe I like Elaine in the story now. No, I still don't like Elaine. <laughs> Barside Chats is a Dusty Wheel production, jointly hosted by Brian the Gleeman and Matt the Innkeeper. If you would like to support this podcast, please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, or you may email us at podcast at thedustywheel.com.